And um, hopefully you brought your Bibles. If not, we're going to have scripture up on the board for you today. But we have been in this series talking about spiritual conflict. Uh, last week we did bring up James 4, 7. We talked about that a little bit last week. And uh, this week we're going to continue on. And I want to get in to talking about the belt of truth today. And we're going to stand upon the word of God, the truth of the word. And, uh, but we're going to start laying some foundation this morning right now. Can we just pray? And I thank God for what he's doing in this house this morning. God, we give you praise and glory, God. God, we have felt your presence here, Holy Spirit, in this place. From the very beginning, we felt your presence. And we give you adoration and glory. And we're so thankful for what you're doing and the people uh, in this church, Lord God, and in our family, Lord. And God, in what you're doing in these young people, Lord. God, you're doing amazing things, God. You're, you're drawing yourself to them, Lord God. And God, as they do surrender, and as adults, as we surrender over to you, Lord God. God, that's what it's about. It's surrendering to you, giving our lives fully and wholly to you, Lord God. God, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful for your word today, Lord God. Your word that's going to speak to us today. And God, it is truth, and it is alive, and it is powerful. And so, God, we thank you. Touch our hearts and minds, God, as we get into your word today. Let us receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we will be over into Ephesians chapter 6 here uh, in just a little bit. But as I do, I want to lay a little groundwork. Um, I failed to mention this, not really failed to mention it, but I've not mentioned it up to this point. Uh, I wanted to bring it out this week, uh, talking a little bit about the, uh, the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, and uh, pull that out a little bit as we lay some groundwork for where we're getting and where we're going to go in the sermon today. So if you would just uh, follow with me here a little bit as I lay a little bit of this groundwork, um, we know that the book of Ephesians it's a prison epistle, so it was written in prison. So you think about that today as we, most of us probably already knew that in here today, but it was one of the books that Paul wrote while he was behind bars in a prison. And the prison that he was in didn't have the comforts that, you know, modern day prisons in, in this area would have. There was a horrible, horrible atmosphere in the prison atmosphere. Would you agree with that this morning? It was not a pretty place. And when you think about him writing such encouraging words from a place of being in prison and dirty and dark and, and just being shackled or whatever the conditions were, they were not good for Paul when he's writing these prison epistles. The other prison epistles are Philippians and Colossians and Philemon is a prison epistle. So those are all books uh, that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And those are interesting facts to know as we begin to read these books and we begin to, to see what these books and what God is trying to convey to us throughout the writings of, uh, of Paul. And so just to let you know a little bit about Ephesus, it was a city in ancient uh, Rome, uh, actually Hellenized it, which we know what that means is they forcefully overtook it during the Roman Empire. They forced them uh, into Greek, uh, you know, mythology, Greek, Greek religion, culture, language. So it was a forceful takeover of Ephesus at that time. And so uh, a pagan culture 
was what was going on there. So I don't want to bore you with any of this information. This is important about the story, okay? So follow along with me, please, about what is going on in Ephesus during this time. It is a pagan culture, all right? It's Greek. That's something that people still uh, look to today, don't they? I mean, you think about it. Some people are still into Greek mythology. It's a popular thing that goes on. It's just really changed its name into New Age and, and different things. So, uh, but that's Greek mythology when you talk about Zeus or you talk about Diana, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Those are important things to the story. You see, Ephesus was a pagan culture. That's where he's, uh, that's, that's this book that he's writing to and and Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was a, a temple to the Greek goddess Diana. And it was also called the Greek uh, temple to Artemis. See, this was very important to them, you know. When we're talking about, you know, to us, it really is not important. We may watch movies about Greek mythology and Percy Jackson and, you know, whatever it's called, and, and talking about demigods. And for some people in here, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But for some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You learned about it in school, in high school, when they had classes talking to you about some of the Greek mythology and, and different things. But it was very real. It was their religion. It's what they followed. It's who they prayed to. It's who they worshipped. And so Diana would have been an important picture here. It would have been an important part of Ephesus. You see, you had one of the one of the seven ancient wonders of the world in Ephesus. That's, that's impressive because there would have been a huge temple there to the Greek goddess Diana. You know what else they would have had? They would have had little figurines that they would have made and were, were selling and they would have been spread out all over the empire of the Greek goddess Diana. I'm trying to lay a little groundwork here to show you something. Would you think that that was pretty important to them? What they were worshiping and, and their goddess, gods and their goddesses? It was very important to them this morning. Back then it definitely was. So let me take you to Acts chapter 19. It was here in the city of Ephesus where you find the apostle Paul in Acts 19. And actually Tammy brought this up when you talked about a cloth that was prayed over. Right? This is where we get that. So you got Paul going into a city. The reason why I bring this up because, you know, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. That's the book of Ephesians. He's in prison when he's writing this book to the church of Ephesus. He's trying to relay some things to them. We know that there's Greek worship going on. They're worshiping Diana. You see this. We know this. And in 19, whenever this happens, could you imagine Paul going into a culture or a city to where you have one of the seven ancient wonders of the world of a goddess Diana, a temple. That's significant. He's going up. He is coming into a place to where it's like he's breaking into a, a place where there's a lot of pagan occult worship. Am I, am, I, am I hitting something there with you? He wasn't coming into a church that was established. He wasn't coming into a place where they were worshiping Jesus and they, were, they weren't doing that yet, right? He was coming into a, 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 an enemy's campground, basically. He's coming into a place where he is facing great opposition because he's about ready to tell them about Jesus. And they are used to worshiping Greek gods. 
And this is so awesome, I think. We may overlook it sometimes in our reading, but here he is coming into a city where there's pagan worship, and he's got to be thinking to himself, God, how can I compete with that? When we read scripture, man, let's, let's look at it and let's think about it. And it, it, Paul was a human being just like you and I. He was a great man of God, yes. But do you think he maybe wrestled, wrestled with some fleshly thoughts? If it were me going into Ephesus and I seen the temple of Diana and I could see if they were worshiping all these Greek gods, do you think for a moment I may have thought, oh, God, you have got to come become very real in this moment for me because I'm about ready to just throw all their stuff and I'm about ready to mix it all up because I'm about ready to present the one true God. And for, for years, not you know, for years and years and years, they are immersed in occult worship. And here he is thinking, I'm bringing Jesus to these people. God, you have got to show yourself. You have to display yourself in a very real way because I am trying to get them to see and to know the truth. There is absolute truth. And Paul's like, I have absolute truth to share with these people. But they're a pagan. They're a cultish in their worship. So I love this whenever we get to that scripture there in Acts when it reads this way. Do you have it up there for us? It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So even the handkerchiefs or the aprons that touched his skin. So they were just touching Paul, right? They were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. What a display of a powerful God. Anybody awake in here this morning? Is that a powerful display of the power of God? I mean, you talk about getting people's attention that even the cloth that touched the skin of Paul was healing people. It was making spirits, evil spirits, flee out of them. To me, I look at that and I think, praise be to God. Because God, you didn't just leave Paul going in there and speaking a few words on his own. He came with all the power of God Almighty in his words and his, his actions and what he was doing. The display of God. It was bringing all the attention back to God. All the attention was back to God. And after Paul's journey, I love that. I love that scripture there in Acts 19, 11 and 12. And that's why we do that. In case you don't know, in case you're here and you're a, a new believer in Christ or you've been fresh uh, in this uh, Christendom, um, that's why we have these up here. Okay? That's why we have these prayer cloths. That's why we do what we do when we, when we anoint these with oil and then we pray over these and you take these to those who are sick and afflicted. That's why we do that. And sometimes we just kind of skip over that and people who are new to the faith, you don't understand why we do maybe some of the things that we do. That's why we do that. Because we see it in the word of God. So that's why. And after Paul's journey to Ephesus, 
Believers continue to grow. The church begin to start there in Ephesus, and the numbers in the in the church begin to you know to grow. and And I love what uh, Revelations chapter two verse six. I'm going to take you over to Revelations two because it's talking about Ephesus. It's talking. Uh, this is the Jesus writing to the churches. You remember over in Revelations at the beginning of it, he's writing to some churches over there, and he's writing to the church of Ephesus. And in verse 6 of chapter 2, this is what he says. He says, yet you have this. This is a good thing that they have. All right? He says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You just hear Jesus said that he hated something right there? You all reading scripture that I'm reading? Did, did Jesus just say that he hated something? So if Jesus just said he hated something, should that bring attention to that? Right? There are some things that God does hate. Right? I've actually heard people come to me and say, well, God doesn't hate anything. Well, you're not reading your Bible. (laughs) Because there are some things he does hate. And Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. If you go back to the beginning of Revelation, it says these are the words of Jesus. And he's writing And he says, the angel of the church of Ephesus writes this. He says, yet you have. So this is a good thing that they have. This is not a condemnation against them. This is something that they have that Jesus is saying, I like this about you. You have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So when I read that, and it's talking about Ephesians, we're in the book of Ephesians, talking about spiritual conflict, I think, Wouldn't it be interesting to know, maybe some of you do know, what the Nicolaitans were and who they were and how they came about. But when you go back and you think, what's up with the Nicolaitans? Because Jesus thought it was important because he had an angel say it to the church of Ephesus. So it's important to us this morning, right? You see, Ephesians, the, the book of Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, they were a hard-working people. If you go back and you study out the kind of people the early church people were in Ephesus, they were very hard-working. They were gatekeepers of the truth. Mm. This is, see, this is all going to start to make sense. And we might be talking about the belt of truth today. And I just read where he says, you know, I like this about you, you church of Ephesus. Y'all are gatekeepers of the truth. You know, you, 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 you're holding the truth and you're holding it to a standard and you're a gatekeeper of it. And I like that about you. That's interesting. So when you get to that scripture right there and we want to know who these Nicolaitans were. Because he says, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans. You see, they were a spiritual descendant of Nicholas. Anybody in here know who Nicholas is? Not St. Nicholas. That's all right. If you go over to Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it shows some men that were ordained as deacons. And Nicholas is mentioned in that. And it says Nicholas was a proselyte of Antioch. 
And so a proselyte means that he was not a Jew. That means he was converted. And Antioch, once again, another Hellenistic city, it is overran with Greek. Am I born anybody in here today? It's just teaching. You see, Antioch is another pagan city, a cult, Greek mythology. Their goddess is Taishi. And you know who Taishi is closely connected with? Nike. Did you know that the Greek goddess was the name Nike? We wear them on our feet all the time. Just give you a little bit. But that's where this Nicholas comes from. He was a proselyte of Antioch. Antioch was a pagan culture. So he was immersed in the occult, this, this Nicholas was, okay? He knew all, and he was a practicing pagan at one time. He, this, is, this is interesting, Revelation 2.6. I'm telling you, to me, I hope it is interesting to you as well. Because here he is, he's immersed in the occult, and he gets converted, converted to Judaism. And then when Paul comes around, he gets converted to Christianity. And he has all these different things that he's pulling in. And see, what it is is that Nicholas, when you look at the early writings, he wanted to compromise, and he wanted to combine all of them together. That's interesting for our day and time. You see, I'm bringing stuff that's current to you right now because there are some churches that are doing this right now. They're, they're wanting to combine all of this and compromise the truth. And that's why he said, I, I like this about you, Church of Ephesus, because you're gatekeepers of the truth. And that's why he pointed out, I hate what the Nicolaitans are doing because they're compromising on truth. And they're allowing anything and all things to come in. And it's twisting my truth. And that's what the devil does. He twists the truth. He wants you to compromise the truth. That's his thing. That's what he wants to do. So when you get over into Ephesians chapter 6 and you get down to verse 14, and it's the very first part of the armor of God, there's a reason why that's so important. Is standing on the truth. And before we get to that verse of scripture, um, well, you can go there if you want to. Stand, stand having fastened on the belt of truth, and we're not going to make it to the breastplate of righteousness today. So if you wanted two pieces of armor, you're not getting it today. You're only getting one. We're holding out at the truth because the truth is important. How many agree that the truth is important today? It is no surprise that we see such an attack on truth. Why does that surprise us? The enemy wants to discount the truth. He wants you to believe in his truth. He wants you to believe in an altered road. He has methods. The wiles of the devil, remember back in that scripture, if you've been here the last couple of weeks. He has a method. He has an altered road. And he wants to twist the truth. And he wants to get you on a different truth. Not an absolute truth. Today, everybody has their own truth. I could go around and you could go into the, in our city and you can ask them different questions and what do you think the truth is on this matter? And you might get a, all kinds of different answers. 
Because they believe it's, it's just, well, it's my opinion. I can make truth whatever I want to make it. You know, before we had people who, uh, out in Colorado, I don't know if you know this, out in Colorado, there's a place out there and it is a standard of time. It is where you get all your time from for your cell phones so that we're all on the same time. Before that happened, you, you would ask somebody, well, what time it is? Well, you know, it might be 620, and you might ask somebody else, it might be 605, because you didn't have a standard to go by. Well, there is a standard to go by with truth this morning. There is a definite standard. And there's a, there's a confused world out here that we encounter daily. There might even be confusion in here today. God is not the author of that confusion. There's one who is. And he definitely does not want you to have the belt of truth wrapped around your waist. It's so important. I mean, I, the Roman soldiers, that's why Paul used this imagery because he's in prison. He sees the Roman soldiers around them. That thing's called a cingulum, this belt. That's what it's called. And it's very important. It's just not for uh, adornment. It's not just so people, but actually, if you study it out, you see that people knew that you were a soldier by your belt because they were not allowed to take it off. A Roman soldier was not allowed to take the belt off at any time. I didn't know that until I started studying that out. You think, well, he had to take it off at some point. I would think that the Roman army was probably pretty strict. And they wouldn't care about just killing you if you didn't obey an order, probably. Right? Anyway, it was very important. You see, that belt... Right there, that belt, whenever they had that belt on. Can you guys imagine, have you ever seen any of those belts? Are, I mean, are you picturing a Roman soldier right now with that belt on? It's a thick leather belt, and there might have been some adornments on there. Because, see, that, they used that as a marking, that they were a soldier. And, you know, they probably didn't. They, the money that they had, they didn't have time to go just blow their money. They blew it on probably a lot of crazy and wild living. But they would probably, when you read and study this out, they have found some that had a lot of adornments on there. Because they were proud of their belt. It was a display of something. The sword would hang on it. When you think of the belt, it doesn't think like a very glamorous thing. You know, when you think of the armor of God, unless you just know the importance of the belt, you might go to, well, I, I, the sword is amazing. It's shiny. Or the, uh, you know, the, the shield, which they're all important, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, don't overlook the importance of the belt. Don't look over the importance of the truth. Because everything hinges on the truth. See, if you don't believe in the truth, everything else is just going to flutter. It's going to be like a breastplate of righteousness that's not connected to anything. You get what I'm saying? That's why they had that. It would connect. The breastplate of righteousness would connect to the belt. The sword would hang on the belt. The shield, when they would bring it up, would connect to the belt. It was so important, this belt. And if you look at these belts, they had leather straps that would hang down past the groin. You know why that is? Because there are some times where an enemy will take a cheap shot on you. And don't you think that the enemy will not throw a cheap shot at you every once in a while. He is good at throwing some cheap shots. You know in boxing, when there's a hit below the belt? No. In UFC, 
those kind of hits. Not allowed. It's in war, anything goes. And you are in a spiritual conflict, and he will take a cheap shot at you anytime he thinks that he can. And if he thinks it's going to be effective on you, you absolutely know that he can bring a cheap shot against you. This belt is of extreme importance. Extreme importance. The King James says it this way. Having your loins girt about with truth. How many are familiar with that? The way it reads. Loins girt about with truth. Now, power lifters, whenever they go to lift a heavy weight, anybody know what they say to you? If you're going to go do like a deadlift or power clean and you get down on the bar. Now, is this good form? If I do this and I just lift with my back, what's going to happen? I'm going to blow my back out. You know what they say, lift with your legs. Lift with your legs. Pull, push with your hips is what they say. That is so important because you have so much strength in your legs and in your hips. The Roman soldier would know this, the importance of their waist, their legs, their hips. It's so important. Trying to get you to see the importance of truth this morning. And you already know that I'm, I'm just kind of going in and shoring that up, letting you know the importance of truth this morning because it's under attack on every front. And if you've not encountered an attack on truth, oh, it's very real. And if you're on social media and you try to stand up for God, you, you better be ready for a battle because people will come at you left and right. They'll send you private messages and try to tell you that you don't have the truth. And they'll try to tell you that you're some crazy person, QAnon, conspiracy theory. I don't even know where that came from, but Lord help me. They're, they're just going to try to tell you all kinds of stuff about your weird self, right? They're going to tell you, well, you just need to get with the times. Because a truth has evolved over the years, right? Man, I, I am preaching truth this morning. I'm preaching truth. But here, how many of you know that truth is a person this morning? Truth is a person. You see, it's an attack on Jesus Christ is who the attack is on. It is an absolute attack on Jesus, the truth, the word of God. That's what the attack is. Let's go to John 14, 6. Truth is a person. i got to get a drink of water. My mouth is so dry right now. I'm glad you guys didn't need to know that, did you? Truth is a person. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 17.17 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Anything that contradicts Jesus or the Word of God is a lie. Somebody has got to hear that this morning. Whether it's online or in-house, anything that contradicts Jesus or the word of God is a lie, and it is not truth. Without truth anchoring your life, you're going to easily slip in to the arsenal of the lies of the enemy. <laughs> Isn't that true? 
It's easy to slip in and, and be impacted by the arsenal that the enemy throws at you if you're not grounded and anchored in the truth. In our culture, people are arguing about what is true because they use their own standard. But God is the standard this morning. People are arguing about the definition of marriage. And God says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. People are arguing about gender. You can be this or you can be that. God says in Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. People are arguing about when life begins. And God says in Psalm 139.13, he says, For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Truth does not change. People will try to get us to compromise on truth. They are pushing hard against the church. And some churches are folding. They are not standing for truth. See, the problem is people naturally run to darkness. In John 3, 19, it says, The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. What they need is John 8, 32, don't they? And you know, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is truth this morning. There is truth. Jesus Christ is truth this morning. The word of God is truth this morning. And you can be anchored to the word of God. It is a belt of truth this morning. When Paul is writing to us in Ephesians, there's a reason why he's telling you. Put on that belt of truth, church. Each and every day, put on Jesus Christ. Let Jesus Christ rule your life. You think, how do I put on Jesus? you got to surrender to Jesus, don't you, Margie? you got to surrender to God. you got to surrender to him. you got to surrender to him. you got to say, God, I crucify myself daily. I deny myself. I want to I live for you, Jesus. I want the truth of the word of God. I want to walk in truth. And the truth is not determined by your vote this morning. I did not bring my towel this morning, did I? It's, no, it's all right. It's all right. I'm going to be good. If it's glistening off my face, it is the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Warming me up in this house. Oh. All right. It's good. But, you know, that's true, though, isn't it? Truth is not determined by a vote. It's not determined by majority rule. It's not determined by uh, popular opinion, is it? It's not determined by what your friends uh, think. Truth is not determined by that. Truth is not determined by celebrities. <laughs> Definitely not. God alone is the majority. I'm about done. Some may hate the truth, right? Some may deny the truth. And some may not choose to accept truth. But I know a truth that it will happen one day. And that's every knee will bow. Every knee will bow before him. That is truth today. There is truth 
throughout the Word of God. It is truth. There's truth for our culture today. There's truth that our friends, our co-workers need to know. Our friends, co-workers, and people around us, they're being deceived heavily by what the enemy is doing. The counterculture. And we have been commissioned, compelled to be ones who take the truth out into the world. Satan doesn't want people to know truth because truth is power. Jesus Christ brings liberty today, amen? Jesus Christ brings you power. Jesus Christ brings you the victory. I'm here thankful for the truth this morning. Praise God for the truth. If you're here today, if you're under the sound of my voice through YouTube, Facebook, social media, and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, he is truth. He is truth this morning. And if you feel like that you have confusion in your life, or you feel like that you've been deceived in any way, he's the revealer of all truth. He is the revealer of that. And God is not the author of confusion. I want you to be encouraged today. Let Jesus be the central part of your life. He is the belt of truth this morning. We do walk in victory today. And I thank God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word this morning. We thank you that you are truth. We thank you, Lord God, that we have truth in our life. There is absolutely truth, and you are truth this morning. God, we know that the enemy is hard at work at uh, coming against and trying to, to trick and bring wiles and bring confusion. But God, we know that you're not the author of that, and we expose that right now in the name of Jesus. You are truth. You've given us truth. And let us be ones who take the truth out into the world. Let us continue to declare your word into each and everyone's life, God. I pray that we begin to prophesy into people's lives, Lord God. I pray that, pray that we begin to, to speak encouragement into people's lives, Lord God. God, that we would be those people that would be whistleblowers on the enemy. Lord God, that we would expose those truths, Lord God. Expose those lies, most of all. 